as we continue through our series in James, I think sometimes just how um, how appropriate this this is for this time. I guess I didn't even really think about it much until um, just this last week especially. So we're in James chapter 1 if you want to uh, turn there. And we talk a lot about what the world has to say. And again, James is a, is a book about faith, but it's also about works. And, and as the title describes, it's living out what you believe. Are you living out what you believe? And in the Bible, there's many things that um, tell us the truth, but the world is also counteracting this all the time. The name it, claim it, uh, religious movement, you know, tells us that if we have enough faith, we won't get sick. We won't uh, succumb to this. We're going to have financial prosperity. We're going to uh, be blessed in all things. There's movements around that talk even about gold dust that falls down from the ceilings of their churches or how uh, silver or uh, different fillings will turn to gold. There's all these churches that focus on this, this name it, claim it, and this prosperity. If you just follow Jesus, things are always going to be wonderful. Well, we know that the Bible tells us something different, and as we read through last week, and it's not that there's not blessings with Christ, because there's eternal blessings, there's eternal um, things that are going to uh, really motivate us to do this, but he says in this world, Jesus says in this world, he says, they hated me, they're going to hate you also. Well, that doesn't sound like something that we really want to grasp. He tells us here in James, as we've been reading, and we're going to be reading 2 through 12 today. We're just going to back up a little bit again and go 2 through 12. But it also tells us that we can expect tribulations. We can expect trials. We can expect these things in our life. And so, uh, you know, we might ask ourselves, well, what should our attitude be? If somebody's going to tell you you're going to go through a difficult time or you're going to have to make some difficult decisions in life, what should your attitude be? Well, James tells us, count it all joy. Philippians tells us, count it all joy. We need to have an understanding mind of what God wants to do with us through these difficult times. And I think what an appropriate verses of scripture today to tell us how to deal with things, how to be a blessing to others as we go through some of these difficult times in our life. And so we're going to read today um, James 1, uh, 2 through 12. This is just a, a portion of it that's on the screen today. But it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but let the rich man in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass and the flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Today I want to talk about a surrendered will. Because that's really what this is, is when we get into times of difficulty, times of trial, times of tribulation, we need to submit our will to God. We need to have this surrendered will. And I went in and I, I sort of looked at this. Whenever we talk about submission, whenever we talk about surrendering something to God, um, there, there's always conflict in what that means. We know the scriptures where it tells children they're supposed to submit themselves to uh, their parents, that um, wives submit themselves to their husbands. We're supposed to submit ourselves to one another. We're supposed to submit ourselves to God. There's a lot about this. And, and when we look at submission, it's something that is a self-will. In the Bible, when you look up that word submission and you look at the origin and you look at the meaning of it, it means submitting our self-will. And I have just a couple notes here. It deals with stubbornness. Self-will deals with stubbornness. And so we're stubborn in our ways. If we're not wanting to yield to God or not wanting to yield to one another, it's because we have the self-will, we have this stubbornness in our life. Deuteronomy 1.43 says this, So I spoke to you, let you um, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord, and presumptuously went, out, went up into the mountain. So we see here somebody that rebelled against the Lord. That's a self-will. That's a, a spirit that uh, is, is in our flesh. When we talk about the flesh in the spirit, 2 Peter 2.10. And these are just a few verses as we go through here that I just think bring it out. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Again, that self-will, that, that brashness that we can have in our life. Second Chronicles also talks about stubbornness. Second Chronicles 38. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. The command is there is that we yield ourselves to what God has. Acts 7.51. He again uses this stiff-necked uh, analogy. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And then into submission in another verse. Placing oneself under the authority of another. That's submission. So when we think of submission, I, I don't want you to think about I tell somebody to do something and they do it, that they're complying with me, that that's submission. Submission is an attitude that we have. Submission is willfully putting yourself under the authority of another. It's something that nobody can make you do. I cannot make you submit. 
If we wrestled, I could maybe make you say uncle, maybe not. But as they say to the little kid that, that you're disciplining, you know, you can tell him, you know, I want you to sit down. And he's standing up, I say, sit down, and, and he sits down for a variety of reasons, out of fear or just whatever, but he's standing up on the inside. He hasn't really submitted, right? He's just complied with what I've said. There's a lot of Christians today that are, are sitting down, they're playing the role of Christian, but they're standing up on the, on the inside. They haven't submitted themselves to the Lord. And so, again, the biblical meaning is this, placing oneself under the authority of another. So when we talk about submitting ourselves to one another, it means I willfully submit myself or place myself under the authority, for instance, of the church board, or a wife made to her husband, or I made to my employer at work. That's willfully placing myself under. When I read God's word, and, and it's something that uh, I know it's better for me, but I, I, I haven't done it, I haven't wanted to do it, but I willfully place myself under that authority of God's word in his submission. Now, he gives me the power in my life to complete those things. But this is what, when, when we talk about our will in our life, this is our, our self-will that we need to relinquish to him. And we need to relinquish that to the divine will. Romans 6.13 says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Paul is telling us, it's our responsibility and it's our attitude in how we present ourselves to God. And he says, present yourselves as instruments of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. And James, a little bit further here in 4 7, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Place yourself under the authority of God, and the rest will work itself out. This is the surrendered will that we're going to talk about in James today because this is what he is telling us to do. We need to do these things that God has called us to do and we need to do it with the right heart and with the right attitude of what God has called us to do. Matthew 5, 43-48 and we're going to have a lot of scripture today because I just think it sort of backs up what we have, have read today. It says, But you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if, you, and if you greet your brother and only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do this? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, God is talking to us a little bit here through James about this perfection. Do you know it's God's desire for us to be perfect? Even though we understand we're not going to fully attain that in our, in our fleshly body, it is His desire for us to be perfect in our walk and perfect in our life. And the only perfection we have is through who? Through Jesus Christ. 
Now he has made us perfect for the day of redemption. We know in his sight and our in our in our salvational standing we are perfect but he desires for us to be perfect otherwise he wouldn't be telling us these things through the scripture he just told us that in James that if we do these things right for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him he wants us to be perfect in our walk and right here it just tells us in Matthew therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect if we can do these things and we know that we can't do these things of ourselves, so our perfection is not within ourselves, but our perfection is in what Christ can do through us. Remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we were to slow our lives down and really look at things with God's eyes, if we were to pray about the things that we do, if we were to think about the things we do before we do them, which most of us don't, and that's when we get caught up in the sin, get caught up in saying things that we shouldn't, get caught up in the moment, but if we were to slow our lives down and look at those things, think of the difference that we could make in this world. Think of the glory that we would bring God through our lives. That the people would see Christ in us. Not us, but Christ in us. And say, I want some of that. Hebrews 6, 1-3 through 3 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elements of principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That's our goal. That's our walk. We move on to perfection. Let us do these things. So it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elements and principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the works, from dead works, excuse me, into the faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgments. And this we will do if God permits. Are you moving on to that point? Is that your goal? To be all that you can be. You know, that's sort of a saying that we have in this world. Be all that you can be. God wants us to be all that we can be. You know, for most of us that have had professions in our life, we always wanted to do the best that we could, right? If we were a, a manufacturer, we were building something, we wanted to build it the best that we could. We didn't want flaws in our work if we're doing a painting. We don't want flaws in it. We want to do it the best that we can do. We want to give it our all. Well, so it should be in our Christian walk. And, and this is what James is saying, is that basically the church at this time, they were making a profession, but their walk was way off base. Even on, on Wednesday night as we're going through 1 Corinthians, it's the same thing. We have believers in the church, but their, their walk was way off base. What would the world look like if God's people really had that mindset that I want to bring glory to God in all the things that I do? And this word perfect is, is used in this sense here through the scriptures means this, to be complete, undamaged, intact, blameless, fully developed, attained to the end purpose, whole. So when we even look at attained to the end purpose. God has a purpose for us and that should be our goal in this life is to walk in those ways, to find those ways and to strive for those things, to be the best that we can be through the power of Christ in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us all the tools that we need. But what lacks? It's our submission to him. 
It's our, it's our lack of submitting ourselves to him in all areas of our life because we want to hold off certain things in our life. But I like this. I want to do this. I, and I want to hang on to here. God, I'll give you this. I'll give you a couple days a week. I'll give you four days a week. Let's make a, a deal here. But God says, I want every day. I want every moment of your life and, and, and every second of your day. I want to be that grafted into you and you into me. I want to be that whole with you. And again, we understand that in the flesh we wrestle with many of these things. And that's why James is telling us we're going to face these trials. We're going to face these temptations in our life. But he says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, right? What does he tell us to do? Ask. Ask. It's usually the last thing we do. We think because we got knowledge that we have wisdom. And that's really not it. Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge. So we study for knowledge, but we pray for wisdom. And God will tell us this, that trials will produce wisdom if a few things happen here. And this is what he's going to talk about. If we pray for wisdom. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. He says he's going to give you it. You just need to ask, Lord, Lord, give me direction. I really don't know how to handle this situation. I really don't know what to do in this moment. And then we have that communication with God and you know what the Lord sometimes will tell us to do something but then what do we need to do we need to submit our will to it right have you ever had somebody give you advice you're looking for advice you know I don't know how to make this better in my life and somebody will say well this is what you need to do but you just don't want to follow that right if we pray to God for wisdom it says that he will give it to us and he'll give it to us liberally and without reproach but we need to submit ourselves to his answer. And we can find his answer both in, in the word of God and in our prayer life. And those two will always mesh, by the way. If you're praying and you think you have an answer and it doesn't line up with God's word, then the answer you got is not from God. His answers will always line up with his word. And we need to think about that. But the wisdom is from above us first pure then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's James 3.17. James talks a lot about wisdom. That's the wisdom that we seek after. And just look at them. Wisdom that is from above. We don't want to stand in our own wisdom. We don't want to stand in our own knowledge or our own understanding. The way of a man seems right, but its end is what? destruction. God says my ways are far above your ways as far as the east is from the west. Take that thought home sometime and try to figure that out. How far is east from west? He says so are my ways above your ways. The wisdom that we need it says here is that which is from above. So we pray to God and we ask for his wisdom and we ask for his direction and we ask for his input in our life and he says I will give it to you. You have the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to empower you to do what it is which is right in righteousness, right? Have our works towards righteousness. I will give you the power to do whatever it is that I have called to do. Again, we study for knowledge and we pray 
for wisdom to use that knowledge. So I don't want you just to think, well, you know, I'm facing these things and I can just pray to God and, and he's going to give me the answers. We also need to spend time in his word so we can have this knowledge. 2 Timothy 3 tells us this, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Knowing, excuse me, from you, uh, Knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. You have known the scriptures. One of the things that cripples the church more than anything these days is the ignorance of God's word. There's a saying that most people know just enough to make themselves dangerous. They've known a couple verses here or there. They've got a couple of them listed in their head, or they've heard them enough that, that they have those memorized. But are you knowing God's word and scripture? Are you spending time in it? They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the way that we understand the scriptures is by having a faith in, in Christ Jesus. The world who reads the Bible, it's just words on a page, but for a believer, it's our life. We know that the scriptures are alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's that word complete again, perfect. That's one of the words for perfect. God wants us to be walking in these ways. And as we look at those things, the challenge today is, and the question is, are you looking at God's word that way? That all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do you believe all of scripture? From front to back, inside out, do you believe all scripture? Because it is given of God. And it is, says it is profitable. It is to our benefit. It is for our growth. It is for our nourishment. For what? For doctrine. The things that we believe in solidly. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. To get our lives right. To help others in their life. You know, we, we have a, a, a saying sometimes in the men's group and through Proverbs. It says, as iron sharpens iron. The problem is, is that if we're the knife, we don't like to be ground on. You know, we want to be the grinder. We don't want to be ground on, Right? But James says all, or Timothy says, all scripture is given for that result, for that purpose. Instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Don't you want to be complete in God? Don't you want to be all that God would have to do? So when he comes down, he can look upon you and say, oh, wait, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, Billy Graham, when he was interviewed many, many years ago, that was his one thing. They said, what do you want to hear from God? I want to hear one thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. That the person of God would be complete, thoroughly equipped. Not partially equipped, thoroughly equipped. He's given you everything that you need to get through that. So we see that trials produce wisdom if we pray to God. If we submit ourselves under what he has given as directions and follow what his word says. Trials will produce wisdom if we pray in faith. That's the second part of that. Verses 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith without doubting. That's a big order sometimes in our life. 
Sometimes we just don't know. We don't know if that person's going to make it. We may have a discernment or a feeling. The faith isn't in, in, in the healing of a person or in, the, in, in the, the miracle or whatever it is that we want to see, but our faith that this is talking about is in Jesus Christ. Okay? But let him ask in faith without doubting. I believe Jesus can raise the dead. I believe he can heal who he wants to. Will he always do it? That's up to him. We're all going to die sometime of something. Jesus right now with the word could, could eradicate this virus that is going around. If he so desired. Do I think it's his desire? Or not at this time. I don't think it is. But I still believe he could do that if he wanted to. My faith is in Jesus Christ. So when we go asking, it's not in the situation that we might be doubting or, or not fully convinced of. But are we praying to God, believing that he can do those things? Again, that's submitting ourselves to him, submitting ourselves under, under his will and seeking what it is that he has. Do we believe that with a surrendered will? Not doubting, for he who doubts, it says, is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed in the wind. If you've ever seen those waves in the sea, that's all, they're just fluid, they're moving all the time. And he goes on, for, uh, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's a strong statement. If, if we're praying about a situation and we don't believe really that, that God can handle it, that Jesus will intervene somehow, if we don't believe in our Lord that way, why should we expect anything to happen? So he tells us that we need to pray believing in what he says. And he goes on to even make a stronger statement. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We don't want to be known as that. But when we surrender our will to his, we understand the sovereignty of God. We've read the scripture and we're gaining knowledge and we're praying for wisdom to understand these things. We see the bigger picture. And we believe that we serve a God who says he will do what he will do. We pray in faith. Matthew 14, if you read through it, 23 through 33, I'm just going to share from, from 30 on. But it says, But when he saw that the wind was blusterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, and said to him, Oh, you a little faith, why do you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. We all know that story, right? The apostles are floating across, the storm comes out, they're scared, they see the Lord. Jesus says, come to me. He starts on the walk and pretty soon he takes his eyes off the Lord and puts his eyes on the situation, he begins to sink. Now he had enough sense to look to the Lord and say, Lord, save me, and, and the Lord did, got him back in the boat. The, the storm ceased. We learn lessons there. That even though as Christians, and we may be Christians a long time, it's easy to say my eyes are always on the Lord. I love preaching from this viewpoint because I'm always looking at the cross. The Bible says we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's, that's, our, that's our staple. That's our, our payment for things. But when we get into situations and our circumstances well up, sometimes it's easy to get our eyes off of Jesus and back on our circumstances and we, like this, begin to sink did you think about it he was walking towards Jesus on the water 
until he took his eyes off of Christ. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. Trials produce wisdom if we seek him, if we pray in faith. If we have the right attitude about possessions, it tells us even, verses 9 through 11. You wouldn't think about this, that, that our trials that we're in would produce faith, would have anything to do with the things that we own. But the Bible says it does. The perspective of the rich and poor. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich man in his humiliation. Because, of the, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. When we go through trials and tribulations, one of the main things that we try to look for is our resources. What is it that we have? You might be searching your, your closet hearing about the toilet paper pandemic. Do I got enough toilet paper to last a couple weeks? Seems like a foolish thing for a virus, right, that we're looking at, but the, the shelves are empty of toilet paper for whatever reason. Hand sanitizer is gone off the shelves. I think I even heard last night Woodman's is closing, I think tonight at 10, or maybe it was last night at 10, but they're going to close so they can get their shelves restacked. They can't even keep up. It's, it's coming in so fast. See, we, we put our faith in our resources. I was sharing with somebody back in Y2K, if you remember that. Remember the world was going to stop because the computers were something was going to happen. And, and we had a lot of friends in church and in our community at the time. They were getting up a whole bunch of food, getting up a whole bunch of water. And, and you know, I just began to think, you know, Lord has given us a promise that he will take care of us. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't take precautions, Right? I wouldn't tell people today, you know, go out in, into high-risk areas and breathe in all the air and don't wash your hands and touch everything you can. No, we use common sense with these things. But God is the one that takes care of us. God is the one that is going to provide for us. And, and we need to understand it. We need to keep our eyes on God and not just on our circumstances, not just on our situation. You know, Peter was very aware that he was in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm. But when his eyes were on Christ, he was fine until he took his eyes off of Jesus. So it tells us here, so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I think of the, the parable of the, the rich farmer who was getting bumper crops and bumper crops. So he built bigger barns and bigger barns to gather more and more in. And what did God finally say to him? You fool. You fool. You think by saving all this stuff and having all this stuff that, that it's going to give you something else. Tonight your life will be required of you. See, God is in control. We need a surrendered will to him, understanding that all that we have is really his. You understand as we sit here today, and we can sit here thinking, man, I've worked hard to get everything that I've got, and I, I've, I've built this up, and I've... Do you understand that everything you have, God has given you? God has given it to you. He has allowed you to have it. He has blessed you with it. Yes, it comes with us doing some of those things, but I'll tell you, I know a lot of hard workers in this world that don't have much. 
And maybe they work a lot harder than what we do. And you know where our mindset can go? But I'm smarter. I know how to do this. I know how to, you know, you have what you have because God has allowed you to have it. All that we have is what God has given us. And that's what he was talking about here. We need to have that perspective of the rich and the poor. There is no division in that. There is nothing that's going to buy your way out of hell. There's nothing that's going to buy your way out of a terminal illness. It's in the hands of God. We need to understand that. And so we understand if we have that right perspective of the rich and the poor, of our possessions, of the things that we have, Back to Y2K. I often thought if I would have filled my whole basement up, I had a big basement, if I would have filled that up with food and water and enough provisions to last whatever they were telling us back then, two, three months. If I would have done all that and I had a hungry person come knock at my door, what am I going to do? Get away? I'm going to give it to them, right? As soon as somebody knows that you have it, what, what happens? Somebody else comes and somebody else comes and somebody else comes. Our trust is in the Lord. He's the one that we put our, 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 our trust in. He's the one that's going to take us from day to day. Ephesians 2 tells us this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I would much rather have that type of richness. The richness of his grace, the richness of his glory, the richness of being in the presence of God than to have this short time on earth thinking that all these toys that I can accumulate, all the fun that we can have down here by doing this or that, because it says this life is as a vapor. God says he has riches for us that are untold. 1 Timothy 6.17 tells us this, Command those who are rich in this present age not to become haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. That's what James is saying. We need that right opportunity. We need to teach people, especially in a prosperous uh, country like ours, not to trust in their riches, but to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He gives us all things to enjoy. Everything that we have, he has given us to enjoy. I'm an outdoorsman. I, I love the beauty of, of, of just nature. Okay, We all love different things. But I can walk through woods and I can look at a tree and I can just say, man, that is unique. It's like snowflakes to me. Every snowflake's different. Every tree is different. I have memories in, in my mind of, of things that God has blessed me with. I remember one time on the Jump River fishing, I come around a little jetty rapids into a little pool. And as I was fishing, I saw like about 10 or 12 or 14 of these large smallmouth bass just swimming right around my boat. God placed them there for me. As a memory, didn't catch one of them, but I saw them. <laughs> and you know, if, if I would have just caught that fish and brought it home and ate it, I wouldn't be telling you this story today, right? But I saw those beautiful fish, and I really believe that God just put them there for me. When I'm out deer hunting and I see a deer come by, or a squirrel, or a grouse, or even the little mice out in the, in the woods move around, I'm fascinated by them. Because that's a rich memory that God has given us 
to enjoy. And so he tells us, he has given us richly all things to enjoy. And it says, let him do good, that they be rich in good works. You may be rich in possessions, are you rich in good works? See, when people talk about being rich, if somebody was to come and ask you, are you rich? You'd probably say, no, I'm not rich. But we are rich as Christians. We're rich because Jesus Christ lives in us. We're rich because of the blessings that he has given us. We're rich because of family. We're rich because of our inheritance that we have. And guess what? We can also be rich, as it says in these good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves. It says a good foundation for a time to come that they may hold on to eternal life. That's the perspective. We've got to get our eyes off of the physical all the time and, and get our eyes on the spiritual. That's a surrendered will. He who walks in the Spirit, Jesus says, will yield to the Spirit. If you're walking in the flesh, you're going to yield to the flesh. Many people who, who fall according to the flesh, it's because you're walking in the flesh. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, you'll do the things of the Spirit. That's that surrendered will. And the last thing that we're going to talk about is he tells us that these trials can turn into triumphs. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's the promise. We're going to have trials that turn into triumph in our life. So when we're going through these trials, that's why he says, count it all joy. Not that I'm in the midst of this disaster, not that I'm in the midst of this problem in my life, but when I get through, God's going to teach me something and there's going to be triumph in it. First Peter 3, 1-5 says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. That's what God has given us. When we go through these trials in our life or these times in our life, James says get the right attitude, get the right perspective, have the surrendered will to God. It says that these are reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God has kept us. We are in his hands. There's nothing that can, can take us. You know, in the worst case scenario, none of us probably wants to leave this life now. But the worst case scenario, if something happens and the disease gets me and it takes me home, am I really not better off? Well, if all my treasures and all my heart is set upon things of this world, then I would say, well, no, because I got so much stuff here and I haven't got to enjoy it all yet. But if my vision is in the, in the heavenly realm, if I'm walking in the spirit, I'll say, you know, the next world is so much greater. Yes, I want to spend time with my grandkids. Yes, there's things I'd like to accomplish in this life. But whatever God has for me up there is so much better than what we have here. And do we believe that? Paul said, you know, uh, to be in heaven is greater. But he says, I'll tarry here as long as God has me to do things here because that's what he has me to do. And so are you lacking something today in your life? We started about talking about lacking wisdom. Maybe your understanding of your spiritual position just wasn't where it needs to be. Are you lacking something today? Are you lacking in love? Are you lacking in faith? 
Are you lacking in a, a surrendered will? Wisdom, maybe self-control, are you lacking in that? God says ask. Ask him. He will give to all liberally. Do you desire godly perfection? By his word and by his spirit. Now again, I'm not preaching that we can become perfect in this world because we can't, only in our spiritual sense. But does that mean that we don't strive for that? No. God says strive, run the race to win the race. Are you desiring to be closer to God, more like God than you have ever been before? You then need a surrendered will. And listen, all of us wrestle with this. I wrestle with this, and I know you wrestle with it. To surrender ourselves to God and His Word and what He has to say. We need to surrender to His Spirit and allow it to fully envelop our lives. There's a little track, I'd like to find it again, but it talks about a hidden room. We invite Jesus into our house and we let Him in all the rooms except one. Have you let Jesus into every room of your life? That is where we will find true peace, true joy, His grace and mercy as we go through various trials. That's where we will have a surrendered will. Let's pray. Father, again, your word is so rich and it is so deep and it just shows us so many things. And yet, Lord, it is our inclination as men and women to walk our own way, to seek out our own path, to be in control of all things. But it's, it's times like this when we have a, a virus that runs around it makes us as a people and as a nation feel somewhat helpless. There's nothing we can really do to stop it other than some precautions. It's like the floods of years ago when we thought that we had all the dikes and the levees up along the Mississippi, but then a, a flood came along and it wreaked havoc. You show us time and time again that we really are not in control, but you are. So Lord, help us to understand that, that you are in control. Lord, many times we are a stubborn and a stiff-necked people. Many times we don't always want to listen or follow or yield ourselves to one another, to the authorities that are over us, to one another, whatever it has. And we know mostly it's to you. Father, help us to surrender our will to you. That you might do your work in our life. That we might find that peace that surpasses understanding and that joy insurmountable. Lord, continue to work in each of our lives. Grow us as individuals. Grow us as your church body. We thank you now for this time and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that message.